0: have been preaching as you know through the Psalms and we have made our way to Psalm 28 only a hundred and twenty some more to go but uh, certainly bringing up a lot of interesting things and I'm sure when this is done we will remember this time in our church where we went through the Psalms and we studied these things amen Psalm 28 I'm gonna read the whole thing for you it's not that long it's only nine verses long um, Psalm 28, starting in verse 1. A psalm of David. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down to the pit, to the grave. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift my hands toward thy holy oracle. Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief in their hearts give them according to their deeds according to the wickedness of their endeavors give them after the work of their hands and render to them their desert because they regarded not the works of the Lord neither the operation of his hands he shall destroy them and not build them up blessed be the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my supplications the Lord is my strength and my shield my heart trusted in him and I am helped therefore my heart greatly rejoices And with my song, I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is saving the strength of his anointed. Save thy people and bless thine inheritance and feed them also and lift them up forever. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and for your kindness and your love. We pray today that we would understand how it is that you would like us to approach you and to talk to you and to pray. That we would understand the proper attitudes and even the proper approach with our body as we come before you in prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How we pray matters. Everybody say, How we pray matters. How we pray matters. Now, I don't say that in the sense that you should be afraid that somehow, you know, God is looking up from heaven or looking down from heaven and he's looking on you and he's, he's mad at you, he's angry at you, uh, and if you don't do it just right, he's not going to hear you. That's, that's really not what I mean. What I'm saying is what God's word says about prayer is something we should be mindful of. Amen? You know, if you, if you want to, uh, if you were applying for a grant somewhere, which I know Abby does that, or, okay, the Ratliff family and Becky does, she, when you do that, you have to do it the way they want you to do it. And if you don't do it the way they want you to do it, you go, well, I just want to do it any old way I want to, right? That's not really the, the proper approach. It's not showing the respect to this agency which you're wanting help from. And when you're asking for help from God, God has particularly said how he wants us to approach him. So we should honor him, amen? amen. And we honor him by saying, okay, what does God's word say. Here in Psalm 28, which if we remember was a song and a prayer to God, it wasn't, this is not a a manual on how to write a grant to God, right? It is a prayer and a song. It's something that is being sung and it was written by David. There are a couple of things that actually struck a real chord with me this week and I think really provides a great opportunity. Uh, As I was reading the text, I'm thinking I could preach several messages on this little nine verses here but i'm going to just focus on a couple things out of here you might go you could you know you, you missed a lot yeah i'm going to miss a lot but we're going to focus in we're going to get real dialed in on a couple of things so it's a great opportunity to talk about some things we really haven't dealt with very much from the pulpit here at the church so we're going to look at a few verses from the new testament epistles that we will refer to in your thinking and in your heart as we are trying to think of the proper postures of prayer. Everybody say it. Proper postures of prayer. Okay, now when I say postures, what I mean, I mean approaches. I'm not going to be like, all right, your, your knees need to be bent at an exactly a 90-degree angle. Uh, you know, your hands need to be out. You know. uh, not that kind of thing. Now, our, our, our physical posture matters, but our posture or our approaches to God, our attitudes, to God are all included in the word, in the word posture. Okay. Our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, and our body too. We're to love God with our heart, right? We're to love him with our mind and we're to love him with what? With our bodies too. Okay. James chapter one. And really the whole book of James is a good book about prayer. James chapter one says, if any of you, verse five, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. What is prayer? It's asking God. Let him ask God to give it to all men liberally, and he doesn't hold back, and it shall be given to him. But then he stops in verse 6, and he reminds us, but there's a certain way you can go to God that isn't the right way. Verse 5. But, everybody say but. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss so he said when you come to God a proper posture or approach to the prayer is faith okay you come to God believing right that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him that that when you pray and you ask God you are literally remember we talked about last week what does it mean to wait on God you're like where is he I know he's coming. He said he was coming. You know where is he? You know to wait on God. When you pray, you should pray with expectation that God has heard your prayer and that He's about to answer your prayer. Faith, because it's not just uh, faith. It's it's not just a proper posture of prayer. James goes on to say, if you don't do this, it says in verse seven, for when someone prays like this, let not that man think that he's about to receive something from God if he doesn't pray this way. So how many of you want to pay attention to that, right? You pray a prayer and you pray it this way, God is not going to give you what you are asking for, but you need to pray this way. So that's got to be a pretty important posture of prayer. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord, for a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So what they're saying is, is that we don't pray to God out of ritual. Oh, okay, you know, Lord, help us out. You know, if you really pray like that and you don't mean it and you don't think it and you're not looking and waiting and hoping for God to hear you and answer you, you can expect to have what you, uh, what you're really thinking is that God's actually not listening to you. Now, James four says more. It says in four verse, uh, starting in the middle of verse two, it says, "You fight and you war and you have not." Because you ask not. So, of course, one of the proper postures of prayer is actually doing it. Uh, sometimes people will send an email, I'm praying for you, but have they actually prayed for you? Text message, just so you know, brother, I'm praying for you. Well, that is not prayer. Prayer is literally stopping and saying, Oh God. Touch my brother Jason. I mean, you get these things you see on Facebook. Oh, we're sending prayers your way. How many believe that people are actually praying or are they just going, we're sending prayers your way? Saying you're sending prayers your way is not praying. You have not because you ask not. And then he says this. You ask, though, some of you are actually asking and you don't get it. And there's a reason why. Because your posture in your prayer wasn't right. You've asked for the wrong thing. You ask, as it says in James here, amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. God wants us to pray, but there are things proper to ask for and things that are not proper. Self-indulgent, self-focused prayers, I call them gluttonous prayers, are not proper. If you have 800 pairs of shoes, if you're, maybe some of you remember the news from years ago, Andy, Andy's probably old enough. Me and Andy, maybe the only people in the room, I don't know, maybe Derek too. Amelda Marcos, you guys remember that? She had like a zillion pair of shoes. If she's going, oh Lord, I want one more pair of shoes. That's probably not a prayer that she's going to be heard, okay? Gluttonous prayers that are just like, God, I know that we have everything. We have more cars than we need and more. House. We just want to be richer, Lord. We want to have more money so that we can consume it upon our own lust. Do you think God is listening to that prayer? That's what's so ugly about the uh, prosperity message that goes through the church. It's God wants us to drive. uh, You know, I remember listening to a preacher one time he paid $9,000 so he could test drive a Bentley and he bragged about it. God's blessed me so much that I could do that. I wasn't going to buy it, but I but I wanted to be able to test drive the Bentley. And I'm thinking, oh, have mercy. you know, $5,000 tennis shoes. Don't be asking God for that and expecting God to give you that. At least that's what James says. James 5 says this. Now, when it comes to sickness, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, You might say, it doesn't really matter who prays for me. James says, it's important that if you're sick, you should call for the elders of the church to pray for you. And there's there's something more that goes into this. It says, the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, they shall be forgiven. Now, when you get into this, you'll find that there was a problem that may have resulted here that we've seen where there is a sin that has caused a sickness. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says those that were coming to the Lord's table eating communion bread and drinking the wine and were were gluttoning off of it and not thinking of their brothers in Christ who may be hungry and may not even have food to eat in their house, he said some of you are sick and some of you have even died. The judgment of God. And if you would judge yourself and quit behaving like this, you could be well. Well, right here we have an instance where he's saying... You should, the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. If he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You might go, well, God doesn't make people sick because they sin. Well, the scriptures teach that he actually chastises us. In fact, the Bible says that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of the Lord. But those who are judged of the Lord are chastened by him. Now, it's not up to you to go and look oh, this person's sick, they're being judged of God. In fact, the Bible says don't do that at all. You stand or fall before your God. And if he judges you by bringing something on you, that's really between you and God. That's why it's up to you to confess your sin. That's why it's up to you to call and say, hey, pray for me. You know what? I've been bitter and nasty and unforgiving and God's convicted me against it. And I know really probably the cause of my illness is that. Would you pray for me and you confess your sin? Do you know that, they, that you can be healed? by confessing your sins and forsaking them and calling and asking for prayer? He says this in verse 16, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He's contrasting the man who sins, who is not doing right, who's not confessing his sins to the righteous man, right? Righteous men aren't men who never sin. They're men who sin, but they do what? They confess their sin. They don't go around pretending that they're not a hypocrite, that, they don't, that they're not judgmental or, or that they're living such a holy, pure, perfect life that no one could ever uh, cast any doubt or aspersion on them. Real holy men don't really have to act like they're holier than they actually are. Now the phrase effectual fervent, it's a King James word. It's actually from one Greek word, effectual fervent. And the word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not pretending to be, but what it's the Greek word energeo. Does, does that sound like a word you guys know? <laughs> the effectual, fervent, energeo. Can you guys, can, can anybody guess what Greek word that might be comes into the English language? Hey, good. Open your eyes. So so the, inter, the word energeo means energy, okay? So it's a... It, 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 this conveys the idea of a passionate a passionate prayer one that matters some people might say, you know, uh, God isn't affected by how serious we are, how heartfelt our prayers are do you know the Bible, and I don't understand this, the Bible says he is the Bible says that when we pray fervently to God, that somehow it's different, and we'll see. Jesus taught them this when he was teaching them to pray, and we'll, we'll read it right from a section where Jesus is asking them, teach me how to pray, right? You guys know the beginning part of that, right? He leads them, then, and we'll get into this, but, but this energy or this fervency, you know, there is difference in, uh, Lord, help my brother, and I don't know. I don't understand how this works, but, it, but it, the Bible says it does, but the, this is, Lord, Lord, I'm calling on you to help my brother, Lord, he's in trouble. He's in difficulty. Lord, come. That's actually what we would call intercession or interceding. You are you're coming to God on behalf of someone. You're saying, Lord, I know that he's done wrong. Lord, I know that you may be bringing judgment on him. Oh, God, please forgive his sin. Maybe he's sinned against you. Inter- intercession. Our brother Andy read for us, and we'll read it again out of Timothy they want, God wants us to make supplication. He wants us to make intercession. He wants us to make thanksgiving. He wants us to pray for people in these ways. This is what the, These are the proper postures of prayer. But this effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, a man who has confessed his sins and says, I'm a sinner, I don't deserve this, God, but I'm coming to you on behalf of someone, or I'm coming to you on behalf of myself. Oh, God! The effectual, fervent prayer now, it makes, sense. it makes sense that this is exactly what this word means because if you go on in verse 17 of James chapter 5, it says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly, intensely, that it might not rain. Now, you know, when, when he later on, he makes a, a non-passionate prayer. Do you guys remember this? When the, when the prophets of Baal are all around, he's like, But the Bible says that when he was praying that it wouldn't rain, he prayed earnestly. He he prayed passionately that it might not rain. And you know what? It didn't rain for three years and six months. That's a whole story we can get into later. Well, if you want to talk about it, I can talk along about it. I went went to these places. And I got to understand what all this non-rain and rain and, and Baal worship and all this stuff was about. It was very interesting on my trip to Israel. But 1 Timothy 2, as Brother Andy read for us today... I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So a proper posture of prayer is to pray for everybody, including who? Our enemies. What did Jesus say? We're to to love our enemies and do what? Pray for them. Now, sometimes we might be praying that God destroys them, right? Uh, but, But we still need to pray for them. He said that we need to pray for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. He's, he's basically saying if you're praying for your leaders and you're praying for your country, you're probably more likely to obey its laws than to submit to its leaders. If you're praying for the leaders of your church and you're praying for those that, and you're being reminded that they are your leaders, you're probably going to remember to live peaceable. If you're praying for your mom and dad uh, or you're praying for your husband, you're remembering who they are in your life, and this is a good posture to take. God wants us to pray, to intercede, to give thanks to him for specific things, and there is indeed a right and a wrong way to do this. It says in verse four that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher, and an apostle, I speak the truth that I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And he says this in verse 8 I will therefore that men pray everywhere, but say, everywhere, lifting holy hands without wrath and doubting. So there's actually quite a lot in this little short verse here. So lifting the hands is a proper posture of prayer. But say, lifting my, hands. lifting my hands. Now, what kind of hands? Holy hands. So there's an emphasis not only that we're lifting our hands, but that we mean it and that we're not ungodly. And it's not, it, is there any power in this only on, you know, cartoon movies? You know? Everybody, right now, put up your zappers and, you know, do this, you know. And we sometimes, church people do that. All right. All right. Now focus all of your spiritual energy and down them fingertips of yours. You know, he's saying it's not just that it's it's that they're holy. It's that you're living right. It's that you're, you know, God cares about you and who you are. You don't just you don't just access God's power like rubbing a genie in a lamp. Okay, rubbing the lamp for the genie It's not like that. God cannot be conjured. He's not a spirit to be told what to do, or, or we do hocus-pocus, alakazam, God shows up, or we announce the name of Jesus. Do you remember that? Do you remember the men that came and these people were possessed with devils and they watched how the disciples did it and so they just copied it? They went up and they're like, hey, this guy, and they're like, in the name of Jesus, you know, they, they saw that this worked, right? So they thought it was a magic spell. We'll say the right thing. We'll say Jesus and the demons will have to flee. We have saw it happen. But what happened? The demons beat the fire out of these guys say, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? Right? And so lifting holy hands, just the act of prayer, just the physical involvement of prayer, isn't uh, some magically releasing God's power. God discerns and he knows who we are. And he tells them that men ought to lift holy hands without wrath, And anger. And this this ties into this idea that I'm going to be talking about about imprecatory prayer. So I'll give you a little hint into it. Imprecatory prayers are praying for judgment and bad things to come on other people. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. So if you are mad at somebody, if someone cuts you off as you're going down the road, Jason, you're like, Lord, I pray that their car smashes into the embankment. These vile riches, do you think that's pleasing to God? I was at a church one time and a guy's like, Lord, destroy the IRS, blow them up, send fire down from heaven. I'm not really sure if that was proper. Now, he probably owed a few too many taxes. You know, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I remember our kids coming to me after church going, dad, was that, was that, was that good, you know? I remember another time we were at another church visiting and they sang this song, this imprecatory prayer, and the way they did it, my kids were like, dad, I don't, I don't want to sing that. I'm like, we're never singing it like that. And it was like to the tune of a lullaby, you know, Lord, smash them in pieces and kill them. And I hope they're all dead. And, and we're like, I'm, we're like, I'm like, no, 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 kids, we're not doing that. We're absolutely, absolutely not doing that. They're like, but they're doing, it. I'm like, yeah, they're doing it, but we're not, we're definitely not doing that. I'm like, I can't find scripture and verse for this, but we're definitely not doing that, okay? So the attitude, you know what? You know who are the enemies of God who were ransomed and saved and brought into light? Everybody say, I was. was. You're not now. You cannot take pleasure in their downfall. What we want is we want them to repent. We can't be like Jonah looking over Nineveh and going, I swear, I think they're gonna repent. God, I want you to kill them all. Did God listen to Jonah? Did he do what Jonah wanted? Do you think Jonah wanted them all to die? Yeah, he did. But God said, you're going to go preach, and you're going to preach. He goes, I don't want to go, because if I preach, they just might repent. So Jonah, so Jonah got swallowed by a whale. <laughs> Jonah got down in the middle of the earth, under the water. He's under there. He's like, oh, God, I'm, I'm oh, okay. I, I get it now. I get it now. He didn't get it. He gets strung up on the shore. He preaches and he goes, I swear they're going to repent. This is disgusting. I want God to kill them all like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. He's mad. He's mad. Folks, do you think that's pleasing to God? No. Do you remember God dealing with Jonah about this? He goes, mad about the gourd that was eaten and the shade. And the gourd's only been around one day. And the shade was only there for a little bit. But in this town, there are little babies, and there are old people, and there are women, and there are animals and puppies, and you just want them to die? And there were, Steve, I guarantee you there were puppies. Because, yeah, no, and kittens too. You know, if they had cats, I don't know, you know. I'm not a cat expert, but I'm sure they had dogs. I'm sure they had puppies. In a whole city, there gotta be puppies, right? In Luke 11, it came to pass, it says that as uh, as Jesus was praying, when he was done, his disciples said unto him, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So, so you might go, you know, some of you might fall prey to, you know, we just pray however and whatever. My prayer is just between me and God. It's very personal. Don't, don't, who are you to tell me? Well, the Bible, it's it's right here. So, He said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So John taught his disciples, and Jesus taught his disciples. So do you think maybe we that it's okay if we learn the proper way to approach God? Of course it is. So Jesus didn't go, prayer's not something you teach, it's just intuitive. What did he do? He started teaching them because they needed to know the proper approach to God. So he said, when you pray, and we all know this, right? He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, uh, thy will be done as in heaven, so it is on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we forgive everyone that's indebted to us. He's, what is he doing here? He's saying, you know, if you come to God and ask for his forgiveness, you better be willing to do what? You better be willing to forgive others. And so he's giving us another posture to prayer. God is hallowed, we are not. People do not have to respect us or, or, or think that we're holy or righteous or good. That's not necessary. But we do need to think that God is hallowed. And when we come to God asking him for forgiveness, what should we do first? We should be willing to forgive others. Jesus teaches about this all the time. Your sins that have been many have been forgiven. Can you not forgive your brother these little things they do to you? But now when he was done and and people think, well, that was it, Lord's Prayer, that's it, he's done teaching. No, no, he's not. He says in verse 5, he said, which one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread? For the friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall say, trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise Uh, And give these so he's in bed. He doesn't want to get up. He's you know, it's probably he's he's under the covers But what are you gonna do? You got someone over and you want to give them food? You're like come on Steve get up Steve, I know you're comfortable, but 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 the Pope Hills all showed up and they're hungry and we need some food and dollar generals closed And I really need some food and and Steve's like, you know what? I'm gonna be up all night if if mark is just gonna go keep beating on my door I'm going to get it. And it says what? It says, will he not rise and give him because his friend, because of the importunity? What do you mean? Because you keep knocking. Come on, Steve. I know you're in there. I'm at your window now. Okay, forget the door. Now I'm at the window. Come on, Steve. I know this is your bedroom. Hey, hey, Steve. You know, and finally, like... That's what he's talking about. He said Jesus compares this to a friend that is just going to somebody and will not leave them alone. And there's another one just like this. Remember when the woman, she goes and she wants justice from the judge and he's like, get away, get away, get away. But what does she do? She keeps coming. She keeps coming. So one of the proper postures of prayer, you ready for this, is persistence. Come on, guys. You have to laugh. I never do this. One of the proper postures of prayer is persistence persistence right okay it just happens to start with that letter okay it just really does though he will not rise to give him because of his importunity he will rise and give him as he needs i say unto you ask and it shall be given seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened to you for everyone that asketh receiveth he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be open so he's saying if you're not praying you're not going to be getting things so you better be praying so that first posture is that we should do it right if a son asks bread of you, will you give him a stone? If he asks you a fish, will you, will you give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then being evil, if you then being stingy, if you then being you know uh, limited in your resources, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? God wants to give us things. But he tells us in his word, he is not going to give them to us unless we ask them for them. You may fall in the same trap that I do. You know, Stacy, you look like you're looking back there. You know, I have some kids in my family that are, that are different than other kids. And in my family, there are kids that will not ask for things, even though I could give them, but they don't want to bother me. Any, do you guys, any of you have kids like this? Like, we don't want to bother dad. We know dad, you know, dad's always complaining about money and we don't want dad to, you know. Yeah, they do. That's, that's me. You know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, everyone at the zoo wants a pretzel. You know, you got eight kids and you're like, we might as well buy a vehicle. You know, you know, we're not, we can't do that. You know, we're from a big family. And some kids are like, I want that dad. You know, they have, they don't even care about that. Other kids are like, no, no, I would never ask dad. The deal is, is that God doesn't have a lack of resources. You are not bothering God. In fact, he says it really bothers him when you don't ask him. That's what bothers God. So, so deal with yourself, okay? God isn't busy. He's not overwhelmed. He is, does not lack resources. Get it out of your head that going like, "Oh, I really don't want to bother God with one more thing." Quit that way of thinking. All right? So I'm going to work a little bit through this, uh, uh, verse by verse a little bit, and and, and we'll be done here in like two hours, and it'll be good, okay? So (laughs) Psalm 28, a psalm of David, unto thee will I cry, O Lord, uh, my rock. Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down to the pit. We can see that he's praying at a time of desperation. Do you think his prayer, Andy, was... Lord, help me out here. Or, you know, the enemies are surrounding his palace. I mean, it's not time to go, oh, Lord, you know, it would really be nice if you came. What's happening here? He's crying unto the Lord, he says. I'm crying unto the Lord. Be not silent to me, lest thou be silent to me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the grave if you don't hurry up and show up. And so there is a passion level that's coming out, this fervency like we talked about. This prayer is a prayer for salvation, but trust me, it's not regeneration. He's not trying to get saved here uh, and join the church. That's not exactly what's happening. He's about to be killed by somebody, and he's praying that God would save him. In fact, a lot of the prayers in the Bible and a lot of the, the times it talks about salvation. It has nothing to do with what we call salvation. It's literally wanting to be saved from being killed. The Philippian jailer, he's wanting to be saved, what? From being killed because people are getting out of his jail. And so he got a two-for-one, right? God came, God heard his voice, and God saved him physical and spiritually. Thank you for the water. Verse 2, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee. So he said he was crying in verse 1. He's calling out to God. This is passion, right? In verse 2, he says, hear me when I cry unto thee. And then he says, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle the holy oracle here uh, being translated actually is behind the curtain in the holy of holies now david was not superstitious okay david did not believe that the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat and the curtains in the tabernacle had a special power but he knew that god came there it's like really coming you, you ever come to church and pray now god doesn't live in this building trust me but, but if you came to the church to pray, what would that sort of say? If no one was here, and you came, and, and you were calling out to God, and you were on your knees, and you had your hands, what, what, what would you be saying? You, you know the building isn't any nearer. But it's kind of like it ups the seriousness level here, right? It, up, it amps it up. He says he's raising his hands. Now the fervent prayer is accented by David's description of what he's doing with his body. Right? When you'll, you'll find places in the Bible where God speaks to people and people fall flat on the ground, what are they doing? They're saying, You are Lord, you're in charge, I'm nobody, right? And when we offer up our prayers to God and when we do this, our physical bodies can mirror this. That's why we kneel. We kneel because what every knee shall bow, right? What's, when you bow a knee to somebody, what are you saying? You're somebody. You're important. You're more important than me. In in uh, in Asian tradition, when they go to shake your hand, brother Derek, they they get low, and and whoever can get the lowest is showing their showing their showing their respect. But I wanted to talk for a little bit about raising hands because you know I grew up in a church that I think had worship wrong. Uh, but there were some things about it that it gave me that I think are beautiful, okay? And as I started studying this and I started reading about this, I got to thinking, maybe some of you might even find it hard to hear this from me. And so I actually found somebody else I'm going to read uh, that maybe you might listen to a little bit more on this subject. So first I'm going to read to you, there are there is scripture after scripture after scripture, and I'm going to buzz through a bunch of these so that you know that the scripture talks about raising of hands. Because what I want to do, what I don't want to do is be afraid of what, what, what was bad and reject what is good in the process. You've heard throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to do that. You know, because uh, ungodly or wrong or heretical people do something doesn't mean that we should all stop doing it. Just like if, if the prosperity people are praying for God to bless them, do we stop praying for that? If the prosperity people who are driving Rolls Royces and test driving Bentleys are praying that God will bless them, do we all of a sudden say, you know what, it's better to be poor. And we're not asking God for anything, and we're not, we don't want to, that's not what we do. We do the right thing regardless of what they do. They don't own prosperity. Amen? And other people do not own this. They don't own this either. This is right from the Bible. Psalm 63. Uh, verse 4. Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lamentations 3, 41. Lift up your heart and your hands to God in the heavens. Psalm 141, 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. 1 Kings 8, 54. And it was so when Solomon had made an end of praying all of his prayer and supplication to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord from his kneeling and from his hands that were spread to the heavens. Nehemiah 8, 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered amen and amen. And when they did, they lifted their hands and they said amen and amen as they bowed their heads and they worshiped God. Can you see these postures? The bowing of the head, the lifting of the hands, the bending of the knees. It is our bodies way of showing god respect Amen. psalm 28 Two, hear the voice of my supplications when i cry unto thee when i lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle psalm 143 i stretch forth my hands unto thee verse six my soul thirsts after thee after a thirsty land first kings eight solomon stood before the altar of the lord in the presence of the congregation and he spread his hands up toward heaven Exodus 9, 33, Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and he spread his hands abroad unto the Lord and the thunders and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on the earth. Job 11, 13, if thou prepare thine heart, if you stretch out your hands to God, he will hear you. Exodus 9, 29, Moses said, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there shall not be any more hail." Ezra 9, 5, And in the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, having rent my garment and my mantle. I fell on my knees, and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. 1 Kings 8, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all the people of Israel, which shall know every man the plague in his own heart, let him spread forth his hands toward this house. Psalm 88, 9, my eye mourns by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee, and I have stretched out my hands to thee. 2 Chronicles 6, 29 and 30, that when the prayer and supplication soever shall be made of any kind, Or of the people of Israel, when everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief, he shall spread forth his hands in this house. It's God even telling them that if they want to properly approach him, that when they know their sin, they need to put up their hands before God. As they are confessing their sins. Psalm 119, my hands also will I lift up. Unto thy commandments, which I have loved, that I will meditate in thy statutes. Exodus 17, 11, it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let it down, Amalek prevailed. Lamentations 20, or 2, verse 19, Arise and cry out of the night in the beginning of the watches. pour out thy heart like water. Lift up your hands toward him, that the life of the young children, the faint for the hunger, in the top of every street. Psalm 68, 13, princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall stretch out her hands to God. Habakkuk 3, the mountains saw thee. They trembled, overflowing with water. They passed by. They uttered a voice. And the waters lifted up their hands on high. Luke 24, and this one I saved for last. Jesus lifts his hands. He led them out after the ascension, after he had told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He told them that they had power. You know what he did? As he went, he lifted his hands to God, and he blessed the people. Now... I read this, uh, there's a thing, I'd, I've never discovered it before, but there's a thing about asking John Piper. How many of you like John Piper? He's a good, solid, uh, reformed Christian man. And when I read this, I really didn't understand it at all. At first I had to read it a, a couple times before I got this, but maybe for some of you it'll be, it'll be simpler. His, his thing was, someone asked him a question about raising hands in worship. And his thing is called Disgust and delight. And I thought, what? I was, trying to, I was trying to understand what was going on. He said, and so, do you mind if I read this for you? It's a little bit lengthy, but, but I think it'll be instructive and maybe hearing it from him will be easier than hearing it from me. He said, I can remember a specific chapel service in the late 70s when I was as a college teacher and I was sitting behind a fellow faculty member during prayer and he simply laid his hands on his lap with his palms raised up and I remember that I felt disgust when I saw it. Now I'm, I'm reading this, I'm like, what's wrong with old John Piper? <laughs> He's disgusted that somebody is doing that? But let's hear why. I don't remember what was going on in my soul at that time, but what I feel now is nothing really but shame and remorse for an arrogant and a judgmental attitude. Now, in my mind, I still didn't know what he was talking about. I couldn't quite get it. But but, but, but he said, but then five years later, I had, uh, he was in an all-night prayer meeting. And uh, they, had, they had two of these a year at their church. And he said, uh, most of the people in the church were gone. There were only 20, 30 people left. And here he is. He's at this all-night prayer meeting at his church. And he said, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, they're singing this song. They're just simply singing hallelujah to the Lord. And in kind of a beautiful time. And he said, next thing you know, he said, his hands were raised. He said, I really didn't even think about it. It just kind of happened. He said that, he, to this day, he said it was the first time in 36 years of his life that he had ever done it. And he said at that moment, something changed inside of him, and he realized the way that he had been thinking about others that do it. He said that he felt that literally by raising his hands in worship, he was released from a significant bondage and hypocrisy. He said, my approach toward lifting up of hands in worship since that time has been simply to try to create an atmosphere in which people felt free from their hearts to lift their hands or not to. And he said, the reason he said not is he goes, we don't want people coerced or constrained or or going, you know what spiritual people do around here? Spiritual people raise their hands. That's God's not, if you're raising your hands because it becomes the vogue thing to do, but you're not raising your hands out of love for God, then certainly don't do that. Either it comes from the heart and it is a valuable expression of the heart or it is a performance and has no value at all to God as worship. He says this, depending on what kind of a service or who was present in the nature of the music, I would guess that over time at his church that they may have 10 or 30 percent of the people that may lift up their hands in worship. He said, we never try to cultivate an atmosphere where it is expected that people do this, that you have to do it. Now, I'm not talking about when I say, everyone, let's do this together but but i'm talking about the voluntary worship he said that and he he quotes from some of the psalms that i just read and he actually reads first timothy 2 8 about what god wants he said no doubt paul meant in first timothy 2 8 that it is contrary to god's will for men to pray without lifting their hands he's saying that's not what he's saying he's not saying everyone has to do it if you don't do it you're not obeying god rather he said he thinks it means it is contrary to God's will that they pray with hands that aren't holy. That's kind of what the emphasis was on, that they are not ungodly when they do it. Now, there's something here that he, that he writes that, that, I, that was amazing. He said that there was a church in a foreign country and when he went there, uh, he raised his hands. The pastor actually kind of came to him and said, hey, you know, you might want to not do that. And he said, why? He said, well, over here, when you raise your hands in worship, it's like raising a flag of bad theology. And he was talking about in, in uh, Africa, the Pentecostals are very active. And he said, when you raise your hands, you're identifying with them. And, and what Piper said was in his, You know, I didn't really say much to him because I understood his, where his culture was. But he said, do you think maybe it might be better rather than to not do what they do if what they're doing actually comes from the Bible? Maybe, maybe what we should do is continue doing what comes from the Bible uh, and find a different way to separate ourselves out from the people with bad theology. And so he talked about it. I, I thought this was very interesting. You could probably Google Ask John Piper about this question of raising hands. He says quite a bit more about it. But I thought it was very interesting where he said, you know, you can be just as hypocritical raising your hands as not raising your hands. Because oftentimes what we end up doing is we end up judging the motives of other people. When we do that, we go, well, they don't do it because, you know, they're a curmudgeon and they don't want to worship God. Really? Maybe they don't do it because in their minds it, they associate it with something bad. And other people might be the, the people who we like to call curmudgeons, because I say we because I'm a hand raiser, uh, may look at us and go, why don't they quit flailing about like a bunch of Pentecostals, right? But who's wrong in both of those? Both of us are, guys, you know? And so as we, as we start, as we're reading the Psalms and we're talking about raising hands in worship, we need to understand that this is not something we've done in here in this church much. Uh, but we're going to be doing it. You're certainly welcome to do it. But the people that don't do it aren't in trouble for not doing it. They're not less spiritual or less holy. But what we might want to do is find out what God's word says. And we can see that doing it is a proper posture for worship. Rumor says this, He that is weak in the faith receive, but not to doubtful disputations. One believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats herbs. Let not him that eats despise him that doesn't eat. Let him that uh, eats not judge the one that eats, for God hath received him. Do you see how Paul understood that it's very easy and very tempting by the devil to hear bad things about the other's motives? Do we, can any of us see into the hearts of other people? I cannot, I can't. But we're tempted to think that we do. You know why? Because we're lifted up in pride. We go, we're the holy ones. We're the spiritual ones. That's what we think. And really, we can be wrong, too. Who are you, he says, that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he should be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. God will judge you in your heart. That's not my job. And it's not your job to judge mine. One man esteems a day above another. Uh, uh, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day, regard it to the Lord. He that regards it not to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eats to the Lord, and he gives thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, and he gives thanks too. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. And whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord. So the application is easy to see. Let's let God be the judges of our hearts as well as the hearts of our brothers and sisters. And let's not give away the temptation of comparing and thinking that we can see inside the hearts of others. David goes on in his prayer in Psalm 28 as he offers something the Bible <coughs> scholars call imprecatory prayers, right? I've been talking about them already. This is included in my topic as a posture of prayer. He that prays to God would bring down judgment on the heads of his enemies is what an imprecatory prayer. Now, obviously because it is God's inspired word, we can't go, well, David was off base here. He shouldn't have done this. It's in God's word, and it is written down, and he did do it. And so we have to understand, it's kind of like drinking, okay? The Bible tells us to drink alcohol, and the Bible warns us against alcohol, too. It does both. So what we end up learning is this: there is a right way to drink alcohol and there's a what? There's a wrong way. There is a right way to worship God and a wrong way to worship God. There is a right way to offer an imprecatory prayer and a wrong way. If you feel your own anger welling up inside of you, do you think you, you meet the qualifications or the, 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 the guidelines set out in First Timothy chapter 2 where he says, I wish that all men would raise holy hands without wrath. So what do you not want to be when you're offering imprecatory prayer? You don't want to be mad. And you really don't want to be out for them. You could offer imprecatory prayer that, that really seeks God's glory. You could be consumed with the zeal of God. Lord, Lord, bring your enemies to the ground. Lord, deal harshly with them. We don't always know who the enemies of God are. And so naming them by name, Lord, that guy over there in the red house who's always throwing beer cans at the church, Lord, burn his house to the ground. That's not what we should ever do, okay? But what we could do is if, you know, we're being assaulted and people are trying to stop our church, Lord, bring our enemies down. Lord, bring judgment upon their heads. Lord, save them. Lord, change their hearts, right? So those are proper ways of praying. He says, and I'll read his prayer, his imprecatory prayer, starting in verse 3. Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Now you have to understand, God knows who the wicked are. So he doesn't say, do this to Billy Bob. He says, do it to the wicked. All right? So if you happen to know someone, Billy Bob, and he's a bad guy, don't pray that God would smite him in particular. Give them who? The wicked according to their deeds, according to the wickedness of their endeavors, give them after the work of their hands, render to them what they deserve. They don't regard your works, the operation of your hands, O God, destroy them and don't build them up. Now, one thing that you will see as this prayer goes on, this imprecatory prayer, is that David is not saying to do this for his benefit, He's doing it so that God would preserve his people. So when we are kingdom minded in our prayers, we pray right. When we say, because we may be praying for God to deliver our enemies and to save us, but we might say on the other end, Lord, because I mean, was Stephen saved or was he stoned? Was every disciple martyred? Yeah, they were. So what, were the, what happened when, when what, what if they asked for help? I think ultimately what they might have said is, "Lord, my life is yours." right? What did, what did Paul say in Philippians chapter one, "For to live is Christ, to die is gain." I'd like to live. I'd like to live and I'd like to be here, and I'd also like to die. But you know who knows best? what's good for me and what's good for the church? God. And so you release that to God and you say, God, I don't know what's best. I don't know if it's best if you save me right now. I don't know if it's best if you, if you kill me right now. I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you what. I'm not bowing down to that golden idol. They can throw me in the furnace if they want. And God, I know you can consume them, but Lord, you might just save them instead. Right? We don't know. We don't know. Uh, Richard Wormbrand, who started Voice of the Martyrs, um, he was thankful when he would get his beatings. I don't know. Have you guys ever seen the tortured for Christ? He said he was thankful because during the beatings, he could, he, could, he could talk to the men who were beating him. He loved them that much. Do we love people like that? The Bible says that when they were hurting Jesus and they were trying to kill him, that he opened not his mouth against them and that when they reviled him, what did he do? He reviled them not. So I'm just wanting to caution us, those of us who've discovered in precatory prayers, that we think about the right way to pray them and in the, in, in the wrong way to pray them and that we don't give ourselves license to hate and to have anger and to want people destroyed when God wants us to love our enemies and pray for them. Amen? Amen. He said, blessed be the Lord because he had heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield and my heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoice with my song. I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is saving his anointing. Save thy people and bless thine inheritance. Feed them also and lift them up forever. For some reason, I did not include this in my notes, but I will bring it out just to reinforce it. That Christ was with his disciples, uh, and I don't have the reference in front of me, but I, I do believe it was Luke 11. And he's with them, and he, uh, he had sent them out, and they saw they had powers. And they saw that demons were fleeing, and they saw people were healed. And so the Samaritans, Jason, rejected him. And you know what, what they said? They said, Lord, should we call down fire upon them so they may be consumed? <laughs> they, they were remembering Elijah, right? Like, oh yeah, we got power. Lord, would you like us to go ahead and dispatch fire and burn them into crisp rice, crispy treats right here on the ground? And Jesus is like, uh, you're missing the whole thing here. This, you, I, didn't, I didn't give you power so you can call fire out from heaven and burn up people like Elijah did. That was Elijah's thing, okay? And that's not your thing. And so, of course, he rebuked them and he moved on. But but I think that there's a little bit of that in us. When we, you know, we get the zeal of the kingdom and the power of God and we're like, yeah, let's bring it down and let's kill them all, you know. And, and I think that's just going a little bit too far. If you want to kill somebody, you know, do it, do, do it at paintball, you know, uh, and, and do that at the upcoming Sons of St. Patrick uh, event That's, that we're going to be doing in March. But, so give them according to their deeds, according to their wicked endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. They regard not your work, but preserve your people. Can you see the proper postures of prayer here? We say, God, if it takes taking our life to preserve your people, then what do we want? We offer it. We offer ourselves a living sacrifice. If, if our enemies treating us and mistreating us, God uses it, us to speak into their lives and sees them saved, wouldn't that be better than God just killing them? Yeah. So there's a moderate line. You know, I really think that we are drawn into extremes, extremes with an imprecatory prayer, extremes with prosperity, extremes to, to be afraid to do things that God's word actually says you should do. Like we don't want to raise our hands because we don't want to be Pentecostal and we don't want to clap our hands because we don't want to be Pentecostal. Uh, well, we're never going to be Pentecostal. We're never going back there. We're never going to, you know, crank up the hymn and B3 and take laps around this building. That is not happening. Although I wish we did have a hymn and B3, uh, we would just have to play it with moderation. Uh, but anyway, you know, s- some of you who, uh, who, who, have you guys ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? A lot of you may not know, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, who died in Germany, who tried to actually kill Hitler, uh, and who was martyred for his faith. Do you know that he came to America? Do you guys know this? Do you know he came to America more than once? And he went to New York City, and you know what he went for? Any? He went to hear the black choir sing in the churches, and he loved to hear him. He goes, "Man, when they sing to God and they're clapping their hands, he goes." I've never seen, now can you imagine the German Dietrich Bonhoeffer coming over and watching the black choirs of New York City just jamming for Jesus and he absolutely loved it. When he is in the bastion of, you know, all of the greatest music in the world over there, that this is what he is wanting. There was something that is lovely about people who love God who sing and who are joyful to God. When you read the Psalms, you will find that a proper posture toward God is joyfulness and exuberance and excitement. And the Pentecostals don't own that. We are not going to be the frozen chosen so that we can oppose bad theology. We, if anybody should be happy about being saved, it should be us. If anybody should be thankful that we understand that God is sovereign, that we are not encountering the world at whim and and, and man's will, and that God is somehow just responding to what goes on and sort of making it work. Folks, we ought to stand up with joy and power and thanksgiving like no people on planet Earth. Amen? So let's not run away just from what they do because they do it. If it isn't in God's word, we should abandon it. But if it's there we should stake our claim where it is. There are proper postures of prayer. God's word sets them out. And even the culture, even if there's a bad Christian culture, we do not abandon God's word for that. We redeem it and we use it as God's word says. You'll never go wrong following God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful to be in your presence. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given us hands to clap. Lord, you have given us hands to raise. Lord, you have given us knees to kneel. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would bow to you. Lord, that if we were lifting our hands, that they would be holy. Lord, that if we were being hypocritical and looking at others who aren't doing it and and having that in our heart, that we would repent of it and see our own false righteousness and hypocrisy. Lord, if we're Afraid, and we have trepidations in our heart because we're not comfortable with our emotions or uh, we're not comfortable feeling drawn into something help us to see what we are being drawn into and that is to obeying your word lord we pray today that that as we uh come to you in our closets in prayer and when we approach you in church that we do it with the right attitude Lord, that we see ourselves as expendable and weak and usable for your kingdom. Whether we live, we live to Christ. Whether we die, we die to Christ. Lord, save our enemies, Lord God. Lord, save America. Lord, save the church. Lord, God, redeem the Methodist church from the heresy and the foolishness of homosexual marriage rather than us sneering at them as though somehow they're not Christians. Lord, these people have bought into... Uh, a delusion that is disgusting. And Lord, save them from it, O God, as you have saved us from our own delusions. Lord, help us to love one another and to love the people of God and to not judge them through our own hypocrisy, but to judge them according to your word and let you be the judge of them. For whether we stand or we fall, it will be to the Lord. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.